It's almost 11pm in the evening, and a man awkwardly backs out of a door on his hands and knees. The door is just 80 centimetres square, and he's wearing a heavy and bulky suit. He's backing into glorious sunlight on a tiny ledge. Once out, he begins a climb down a ladder. Just nine steps and a jump at the end. He lands on a circular pad and takes a breath to steady himself. He needs to take a moment, as there's roughly 650 million people watching him on the ungainly trip. Most of the population on Earth with a TV at the time. Of course, it's not surprising, considering the fact this man is the first person to stand here. In fact, he's not even standing on this planet. He's on the moon. This week on Cheeky Tales, we finally tackle my favourite topic of all. The space race. Welcome back, boys. My favourite topic is space. Woo! Going to space again. I was trying to think earlier in the week. We've done space before. Oh, yeah. I, that's right. I did Haley's Comet. You did Comet. Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet. That, uh, you know what? Haley's Comet. Screw okay. you. But I was, yes, I, it's Haley's I, Comet. I only just remembered what the topic was. I'm like, I'm, we've been to space and I did it. I couldn't remember yeah. what it is. We're doing the space race from the 1960s. Yeah, all well, the 50s and 60s, yeah. Uh, and, and, and what year does it finish it in? 72. Okay. What mm. year was the main event? 69. Noise. <laughs> Try to set him up. <laughs> say what I want you to say. <laughs> I think I don't think I once put a nice in the script, but um, it's probably there. Cool, cool. So we're doing space race. We're we doing are doing the space race. The trip to the moon. That's right. My favorite story of all time. I absolutely love the space race. So where are we going to fall? Like discussing it, is it going to be it actually happened, or are they going to? Are you going to tell me they did it in a basement somewhere? If you insult I'm me sorry, like right. that once more, <laughs> this will become a one-person podcast. <laughs> okay, so you believe they actually went there? I don't believe. I know. Okay, yeah, no, I also there is evidence that they went there. Yeah. I don't tackle any of that nonsense. <laughs> in fact, there's a bit of this script where no. I rip on that for a sec. I'm, but on, I'm inside. I'm on the side of I. Yes, they went there. There is way more evidence that they went there, and. No evidence that they didn't. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to do this one. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, so... Um, and expect this to be dry. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> John, uh, I, you're going to have to you're gonna have to put all comedy into this script. Okay, all right. Just let me... Warm up. <laughs> get my knuckles ready and crack up. So the reason we're doing this episode now... Okay. Why are we doing this episode, boy? What's going on in the world? Well, uh, as of... Two hours before this episode comes out, uh, NASA are meant to be launching their next series of missions to the moon called Artemis. Cool. Uh, so pretty exciting, actually. Yes, I like, I, it sounded yeah. sarcastic when I just went cool. No, it's actually pretty exciting. I'm not as excited as you, yeah, but I'm pretty into it. It's, uh, I am very excited. I'll be. I will be finishing editing this script tomorrow night. Uh, as it's on taking off Monday night. That's and cool. Then I'll be coming out to watch on YouTube as it launches. The uh, yeah, the Artemis missions going back to the moon. First yep. one is just like a flyby, test all the equipment, no people on board. But it's going to be the first rocket to dethrone the Saturn V for power. All right. Yep. Yeah. Saturn V heavily featured in this this story mm. in part two. I'm surprised. By the way, it's a two part episode. Surprised you don't have your model out just to. That thing is sacred. Okay. I did consider bringing out mm-hmm. the the little piece, but um, we'll get to that. Oh, I I don't have to bring it up. We're gonna. Oh, I'll be talking about it. Okay. Okay. It gets a mention. Cool, cool. Mm. I'll just let you do that then. I won't bring it up at all. All right. Well, I will get started. And like I said, I love this story. So this, I've tried to cut it down as much as possible, but it is a 6,000 word script across two episodes. 
All right, boy. Ignite and launch. Let's go. Uh, ignition sequence start. I don't yes. actually know. what Ignition sequence start. Ignite. Yeah. We have liftoff. Yes. Please go. Yeah. At 32 minutes past the hour. That was meant to be my pun for you to start. Yeah, I got okay, that. Okay. Yeah, but you, you effed it up. That's oh, come serious. on. <laughs> Is that how serious you're going to be? Maybe. Let's <sighs> see. So, I have titled the first section of this On the Starting Blocks because it's a race. Get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's puns in my script. Okay. I was, I was That's to, the I, end of the humour. I was trying to think of another one. <laughs> one Even, small step for man, one giant leap for podcast kind. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you for getting that right. <laughs> Did I get it right? Mm. Okay. I, well. I know it gets misquoted quite often, doesn't it? So- I cover it later. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. That's in part two. All but right. yes, it, it does get misquoted, but you said it right as it sounds. Okay. Cool. Mm. Even though it's been 53 years since Neil Armstrong took those tentative steps down a ladder, most people today would know what this mission was. It was man's first attempt to land on the moon. What most people don't know is the incredible story of how Neil and Buzz Aldrin got to the Sea of Tranquility and the years of work, problems, heartbreak, and eventually triumph that went into that moment. In recent years, there's been an increase in conspiracy nuts claiming that this adventure <laughs> never happened. <laughs> I told you. First shot's fired. Dunk! <laughs> Hang on. How many minutes in are we? We're like one minute into actual recording. <laughs> yeah. I- Aaron's fired his first shots. Cop that, you conspiracy nuts. We went to the moon. <laughs> we did. There's been an increase in conspiracy nuts claiming this adventure never happened. You just have to say it again, do you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that it was all a fabrication to humiliate the Soviets and dupe the people of Earth. I'm not going to dignify those half-baked ideas. <laughs> Still going. With debate. Though I might in another podcast one day. But what I will do is give context to the event. All right, let next year, the one-year anniversary of this episode. It's my dunk cast. We'll do the conspiracy on why right. it was faked. Cool. I hope it's not your episode. <laughs> oh, It's your episode now? What you could do is... Tell me the conspiracies and, and I have to bunk just, them. All right, fair yeah. enough. All right, there you go. Look, that's a one-year teaser yeah. for everyone out there listening. That's 100% guarantee. 365-day teaser. Wait, next year leap year? No. No. What I will do, though, is give context to this event, as I think there's that these days it's very difficult for people to grasp that this wasn't just one mission over the course of two weeks, but it was actually the culmination of almost two decades of work by 350,000 people and the realisation of a dream of a dead man. Even with Artemis launching its first mission, possibly last night. Because oh, yeah, it, it could get pushed, couldn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I should say that. It might not launch. It might not launch, yeah. yeah. Even with Artemis launching its first mission, possibly even last night, we can't quite see the sheer force of will that propelled man to the moon. Let's get into it. Yeah, well, it's not an easy thing, is it? Like, I'm sure we're about to find out. Getting yeah. to another planetary body in our, even though it's the closest... That's our satellite. It ain't easy. No. There's it's lots very, of- very, very difficult. Yeah. There is a reason we haven't done it since. Since, yeah. Yeah. Most of that is money. And, but- and it's probably even more difficult now because I know I've seen like little animated GIFs of how much stuff is in our orbit now mm. compared to back then. It's like- Yeah, if you've not looked up a satellite it, map- It's like a steel wall yeah. around our planet. Yeah. It's not as bad as it's portrayed in those maps. Probably because they're much smaller, but there's, yeah. there's a lot of junk up. Well, not junk, but there's a lot of stuff up yeah. there. Yeah. S- SpaceX alone has like two and a half thousand little satellites. Yeah. So, yeah. The story begins in this podcast's favorite topic, World War II. Oh. 
While there had been a few experiments and advances made with solid and liquid fuel rockets prior, the story of the Apollo program and the space race that it was part of really begins with one man. Is it? Is he a German scientist? He is a German scientist. Did Do you know at, his name? I don't know his name, but okay. he, I know he worked and developed the V2 rocket because That's that right. was the start of, yeah. Yep. A German rocket scientist by the name of Werner, Braun Braun, Werner, Werner von Braun. And he, did he defect to the Americans after the war? Yes, he did. Von Braun spent his youth experimenting with rocketry, and after successful tests with his rocket club mates, he had a rocket club, That's cool. was recruited by the Nazi party to build weaponry. Through the resources of the Nazis, von Braun and his team managed to build the world's first guided ballistic missile, the V-2. This single-stage rocket would be used with relative success in the closing stages of the war. Of the war? Of the war. Of the Vermincheck? Was it? What, I can't think of the German name. It's, it's something like that. Cut that. Cool. <laughs> Guarantee it won't be. Oh. And you was, always cut your I, stuff I and leave my some stuff of your in stuff. all the time. I cut some of your <sighs> stuff too. Don't get all pissy. <laughs> the V2 was a feared weapon due to its ability to hit without warning at massive speed. So you would not hear it before it hit you because, mm. you know, yes. fast boy. Yeah, it's faster than sound. The V2 would also be the first man-made object to enter outer space. The V2 test-fired vertically in 1944. I was about to ask, did they just point it up and just let it go? Pretty much, yeah. Wow, cool. <laughs> uh, it reached an altitude of 176 kilometres, which is 76 kilometres over the agreed boundary of outer space. Yeah, space ain't that far, really, no, is it? It's only 100 k's. Yeah. yeah. Closer than Townsville. Understandably... <laughs> The Allies and Soviets wanted a piece of the action, and so as the war was ending, an operation to capture and relocate the scientists responsible for the weapons began. Werner, why can I not say v- Werner von Braun? Like I, it's, don't know. I know his name. Werner Werner. Werner, Werner von Vav. Uh, Werner von Braun. Wernsey. <laughs> yeah, what happened? Wernsey. <laughs> what happened to Wernsey? Wernsey sensed that it was. <laughs> Wernsey sensed that it was much better to surrender to the Allies than the Soviets. Good call. And so made a point to ensure he would end up on their side. Yep. Just a quick dunk on the Soviets there. Did they capture him on a train? No. And they like zip lined down onto the train and kept, no, that's not, okay. He just surrendered, did he? What are you thinking of? Oh, sorry. People will get it. Is this a bit that you're trying to, what? Yeah. It, it, it's a reference to something you wouldn't understand because you don't watch movies. Is it a Bond thing? Nope. Oh, well, yeah, I'm out. It's Captain America thing. Okay. So, yeah, he, he sensed it was going to be better yep. to surrender to the Allies, which, good call. Yeah, um, Wernsey wouldn't have got treated too well by the no, Soviets. No. And even if you did, like, just one day you won't. Yeah. Like, man. This is going to fall out of favour. Yeah. The Soviets were not a good group. Let's just say that. Cheeky Tales says, no, thank you. He but eventually- if, if you are listening in, I was going to say, <laughs> the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. I don't think you will be. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, let's move along. I don't want to say anything. Anymore. He eventually surrendered to the Americans, along with 1,600 other German scientists, Whoa. and was relocated to the US shortly afterwards. That, Von- would, that would be a, another interesting topic we could do. I don't know how mm. much information would be out there. It would be like- About Operation Paperclip. Uh, I was thinking like what the German scientists were working on. They weren't just mm. working on V2. They had like occult research. and Oh, there was tons of stuff, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to actually like go into what the Nazis were doing. Doing to try and win the war because mm. they just started going. Well, they had the first. You got, you got this idea? Do it. We need. We're losing. Mm. We need to do something. They had the first jet fighter. Uh, mm. Yes, they did. Mm. Yeah, they did. Yep. It wasn't great, but it existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
Wernsey would eventually go on to contribute to the development of the entire NASA fleet of rockets and programs during the 1960s and 70s, building on the foundation of the V2 throughout. That was like the most awkward sentence structure I've ever done. <laughs> he, got the, he got the point across. Entire NASA fleet of rockets and programs during the 1960s and, and 70s. 70s. <laughs> After capturing a number of V2s, the Americans would begin testing the device themselves and started to understand the basics of rocketry. In 1946, the Americans at White Sands Missile Range would strap a camera to the top of the V2, fire it off, and capture the first photos of Earth from space. They are terrible. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, because it's just like a grainy black and white photo. From here, the US would continue to experiment through the late 1940s and 50s with sounding rockets, which are small, suborbital rockets designed for testing purposes. So suborbital just means they don't orbit. They just go up and down. Yep. Can you... Just, just we'll go back. We've heard a bit about Wernsey in, in the start of the the program, like yep. the the infancy of the program. Mm-hmm. Can you just imagine? We, we talked about time travel last episode. That's where I want to go. I want to go to Wernsey's Rocket Club and yeah. say, mate, one day what you're doing here is going to lead to a man walking on that thing up there. And he's probably going to say, yes, I know this. <laughs> but like. What were they building in their rocket club? I'm sure they weren't building big things, like tiny little- Yeah, they were just like little, like almost like the kind of toy rocket that you would get today. But that's cool. Yeah. Like that's- Yeah. No one- And you got to think like that was happening for the first time ever. Yeah. No like, one else was doing that kind of yeah. stuff, were they? Like- Go down to this bloke's shed and he's just like, you want to see what's in my shed? Yeah. And he robes it up. <laughs> like That's that's cool. And like, like yeah. I said, where it leads to, following that breadcrumb trail, where yeah. it leads to, insane. It is like this is the whole point of the of this episode, right? Is that it wasn't just, hey, let's go to the moon. Oh, we're there. It was decades of yeah. little tiny steps yeah. that led up to that one step. And we're at the point now where the I'm assuming I might be talking to Mars here. The rocket they just launched or will launch that's going to go up and come back down to be reused. And we 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 get we're, we're now at a stage where we're reusing rockets. No, oh, it's not reusing it's- rockets is a very new thing. Yeah, but is, is that what's going to happen with the Artemis? Are they using those? No, Artemis is completely boosters? single use. Okay, yeah, I. But still, so SpaceX do that. Yeah, SpaceX reuse all their rockets. Yeah, we're at a point now where SpaceX yeah. is launching stuff into space mm. and reusing those rockets, mm. like like more than ten times. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy in itself. The coolest thing is seeing like they show shots of those rockets, like you know, here's a, at its first launch, second launch, third launch, and you can see it just getting progressively more ragged. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because it's getting all like they don't totally repainted yeah, yeah. so it looks kind of shit because like, it's all burnt up from re-entry it's kind of it's cool it's, it is cool yeah and then you see like what they're doing with um you see what they're doing with um like the starship program mm-hmm. like that's cool yeah yeah we're, we're we're so much further along than where we were but we're not as far as where we were it's it's a weird like yeah anyway i could talk about this for hours so these suborbital rockets uh, they would be making sure they understood rocketry and spaceflight, testing concepts such as staging. A basic rocket, like the V2, is a single stage. It fires, and once it's out of fuel, that's it. With a staged rocket, you basically have multiple rockets stacked on top of one another. So you've got the lower stages being jettisoned as they run out of fuel, mm-hmm. less weight, next stage has to push less. Mm-hmm. This makes it much more economical to get to orbit. The Saturn V, which launched the Apollo spacecraft, was a three-stage rocket with two stages to get to space and a third stage to get to orbit and then yeet the crew towards the moon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While Wernsey began his time in America, 
Experimenting further with rocketry. Lucky he didn't surrender to the Aussies. He's gone down in history as Wernsey. <laughs> Wernsey! Suckers, Wernsey! Can you use space to make my beer cold? <laughs> I'd like that. <laughs> space beer? Yeah. Trademark Cheeky Tales. Cheeky Boys. Cheeky, whatever we are. <laughs> space beer. Copyright well, trademark. 2022. While Wernsey began his time in America, experimenting further with rocketry, America began its testing program. There was also a bit of a world event taking place, this little thing called the Cold War. You might have heard of it, with America and the Soviets in a massive pissing contest to expand their influence and impress the smaller <laughs> nations of the, the world. You said the humour was stopping. <laughs> <laughs> Get dunked. <laughs> I mean, it's enough way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, because that's basically, like, the reason it was a Cold War is because it never became a war. A war yeah. Because it was just the whole time they were trying all to build outdo up, each other. It was all built up to a war without actual... Yeah, and getting anything or- like little countries to fight each other so mm. that they could be involved. And yeah, during this period, that being the Cold War, there was also a global agreement called the International Geophysical Year or IGI, which was an agreement between 67 countries to complete collaborative scientific exploration, including multinational research stations in Antarctica, along with, a ver- along with various studies throughout the world on the Earth and atmosphere during 1957 and 1958. It was actually the geophysical 18 months, but yeah. yeah. Um, a year. It, it rolls off the tongue easier. Yeah. It was a collab. Basically, they wanted a whole bunch of countries to get together mm-hmm. and just do stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of that was to encourage scientific exchange because uh, the East and West had not really been sharing much. So they're like, hey, maybe we should be scientists and share. Yep. But of course, it became a tool for both the Americans and Soviets to show their power. The Americans would first announce their intention to launch an artificial satellite into orbit during the Iggy in 1955, with the Soviets announcing their intention to do the same four days later. And this is where the space race begins. So that's the race to space. And quite literally the race to space. Mm, yep. Um, yeah, so that's where it all begins. Just so instead hey, of shooting at each other, they just went, well, it's going to be whoever gets to the... Yeah, let's... let's whoever gets to space first. Let's huck a rock up there. Yep. America, being America, would assume that they had this thing in the bag from the very beginning. They would be using the Vanguard project, run by the Naval Research Laboratory, and would be based on the sounding rocket program they had they already had un, they already had underway. The first two launches of the Vanguard project were suborbital, meaning they didn't get into a full orbit, but went up and down, as I said before. Then, out of absolutely nowhere, and I mean out of nowhere, nobody knew the Soviets were at this point. The Soviets, la- the Soviets launched a little sphere called Sputnik on 4th of October, 1957. Now, is that the correct... You just, is Sputnik. It, is it, or is it Sputnik? It's Sputnik. Okay. Doesn't really matter. Uh, this is your area of expertise. Mm. Sorry. I call it Sputnik. It's a little silver ball with a bunch of antennas on it, isn't it? It's pretty much it. Yep. Yeah. It is lit. That's exactly what you said. It is a sphere with four antennas hanging off the back of it. So, like, imagine it being thrown through the air. Mm-hmm. They're, like, hanging off the back. How big, like the size of a soccer ball or? Uh, a little bit bigger, I think. Beach, uh, like a blow-up beach ball type of thing? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, it was specifically designed to be as reflective as possible so, so that the yeah. Americans could see it as it flew over. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. It, it surprises me that they shocked the Americans in the world how, you know, what, with this. Yeah. Because they had rockets in World War Two. They had like, they were, had truck-launched rockets. Like, they were just like dumb fire, like shoot them off and then. Drop down, but they were using rockets then. Like, yeah, it's not like they were completely. Oh, we got a this thing. What explodes at the back and it's a long tube. Like they yeah. had previous technology. 
So the, the government kind of knew, like they had an idea that the, the Soviets were doing well, um, but they didn't expect them to beat them. Yeah. Um, and you got to think like the American public as well. They're like, yeah, American number one. Mm. And then all of a sudden they're like, what's that? What's that thing moving in the sky yeah, at night? Yeah. Oh, that would be- yeah. And then- That would be trippy because like you go out on a dark night. If you go away from the city and look mm. up- You'll see them all. You stand there for long enough, you'll see the stuff moving across yeah. the sky. That wasn't a thing. Like no. seven, This is 70 years ago and that wasn't a thing. You yeah. would have had one. So people would have thought like, oh, it must be a shooting star. Yeah. Um, but then people with ham radios started getting the beeping from it. So it had a radio mm-hmm. that was designed to just broadcast beeps all mm-hmm. the time. Um, so it was literally designed just to go up and be like, F you yeah. to the Americans. Yeah. That's what, what no yep. other purpose. That was it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And so then um, like the Americans, first of all, they're like, oh, what the hell? Because like now they think, oh, they're going to drop bombs on us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, now they can. Yeah. You know, what else could they put up there? And then after they all sort of calmed down about that, they're like, oh, this is really humiliating. Mm-hmm. We just got beaten. What'd they launch it from? What what kind of platform were they using, the Soviets were using? Uh, what was the rocket called? I think it was, it was part of the, um, I can't remember what the rocket was called. It wasn't part of like the Soyuz that they have now. Rasputin. Rah, rah, Rasputin. <laughs> it was an R7 rocket, which was actually an intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missile. Oh, yeah. So they just put it on top of a missile. They cheated. Well, that's what the Americans were doing Sorry, too. I just started something on my phone. <laughs> that's what the Americans were doing too. Their oh, just, their early rockets were just missiles. ICBMs. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't until the Saturn pro like the the Apollo project and the Saturn series of rockets that they weren't using ICBMs like weaponry. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. The Soviets would extend their lead with the launch of Sputnik two on third of November. That's a month later. This time launching a dog on board. Is that Cosmo? No, that no. is Laika. Sadly, Cosmo. Cosmo is a Marvel character. It's a Russian <laughs> dog. It has telekinetic powers. Mm, it's not that. No. It's a real dog. Yeah. Sadly, Laika was not intended to return. Mm, mm. They had Originally, they'd wanted to be able to recover the, the dog from orbit. Salute to Astro Dog. Yes. Salute to Laika. Uh, but yeah, they ran out of time and they're like, oh, just chuck it up there. So it's a bit sad, really. It is. Yeah. It didn't help that the following this on the 6th of December, so another month later, the first attempt by the Vanguard project to launch a satellite exploded just two seconds into flight. It literally just goes. I was gonna say, that's not high. No. It's like three feet off the ground. I think it was still like it was on the tower still. Mm. Like, yeah. Uh, and the second attempt on the 5th of January, so another two months later, lasted just 55 seconds before absolutely obliterating itself. Oh, that, got, that, would've, that would've got up a fair bit higher. Mm. I think that's the one where, like, it just starts tracking off and oh. they're like, oh, we better detonate this. Yeah, right. Yeah. America was humiliated on the global stage and it became apparent that the Soviets had a huge lead, not just in technology, but in experience and knowledge. The American public were terrified that the Soviet technology had launched something that flew over their heads 16 times a day. Something had to be done. And in stepped Wernsey to save the day. Oh, good old Wernsey. Wernsey's back. Wernsey! Guess well, who's back? Kind of. Back again. <laughs> Von Braun's back. Once he's back. <laughs> Tell a friend. <laughs> You're very proud of yourself, aren't you? <laughs> Not really. I just changed words either. Good job, Weird Al. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> you know, Weird Al's got a movie coming yeah, out. I know. And it's like Daniel Radcliffe yeah. plays Weird Al. Yeah. I want to see that. And that looks it great. That's awesome. Yeah. So oh, that's the movie you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> I like obscure French films. Okay, fair enough. It's not obscure or French. <laughs> that's weird. That was the joke. <laughs> okay. 
Wernsey had been working with the Army on the Explorers program, (laughs) which had been building on the foundation of the V2 he had developed. Yep. Explorers program, V2. Yep. I'm listening still. Originally, the Army had been ready to launch in 1956. So that would have been a year before Sputnik. Mm -hmm. However, they had their project shelved in favour of the Navy's Vanguard project. Von Braun pleaded with then-President Eisenhower to give him the funding and opportunity to attempt a launch, promising to get something into orbit. Eisenhower would agree, and on 1st of February 1958, Explorer 1 would launch and get America their first satellite. With both countries now taken to the skies with their respective programs, things were starting to heat up. But America had a lot to do if they wanted to catch up. So, yeah, um, Von Braun gets the first thing up there. Mm -hmm. But at this point, the Americans are beaten 40 to 1 on weight in space. Yeah, okay. Mm. So they're still well behind. Yep. The race heats up. We choose to go to the moon. This is where Mr. Kennedy gets involved. Mm, Okay. So the obvious next step from hunks of metal and wire going into space is a human up there. What? Just hunks of, yep. Hunks. This is the way you described it. Hunks of metal. The Americans would consolidate their approach to space, creating NASA in late 1958, transferring many of the programs and agencies of the Army and Air Force into itself. NASA. I was going to say, is it National Aerospace? National Aeronautics and Space, space. Administration. Yep. I knew that. NASA would begin undertaking Project Mercury, while the Soviets would begin the Vostok program. What? Nothing. Okay. I just I was just considering grabbing your Apollo book uh, and just reading along with you as you <laughs> Well, that's only the Apollo book. Yeah, I know. We're, we're not there yet. We are well away from that. Yeah, if you don't know Aaron, he's a massive fan of this stuff. There is literally yeah. paraphernalia of like within sight of Apollo and yeah, within sight of this of this chair that we're recording on, there is a an Apollo 11, uh, sorry, an Apollo project uh photo book. There is a Lego model of the lunar module. There is a Lego model of the ISS, that is the International Space Station. And in the other rooms of this house, there is a Lego model of the Saturn V. Mm-hmm. There is- You've got the shuttle, space shuttle. I have the Lego model of the space shuttle. Uh, and I also have my most prized possession. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get yes. to that. All right, we'll get to that. Te- teasing. Yes. Most prized. That makes me happy. <laughs> So you got Mercury for NASA, Vostok for the Soviets. Mercury would begin with unmanned test flights in 1959, with Vostok beginning in 1960. In the opening launches of the missions, it appeared that the Americans were in front, launching a chip, a chip, a chimp, a chimp, chimp named Ham, chimpanzee, on a suborbital flight on January 31st, 1962. Did Ham come back? The mission was a success and confirmed that the Redstone rocket with the Mercury capsule on top would support a manned mission. Yes, Ham did survive and uh, lived on to... I was going to ask, is he still alive, much like the MGM lion? (laughs) Nope. Very much not like the MGM lion. Hmm. I I love that that little discussion we had. That's so funny. Because you also say the MGM lime. Uh, Do I? You say the MGM lime. (laughs) A uh, little known fact, the MGM lion is actually a lime. <laughs> so, yeah, they um they get Ham up there. He comes down. Comes back. He goes, you won't believe what I've seen. Yeah. 
And so they're like, great, this capsule's ready to go. Yeah. But Wernsey wasn't convinced. Chuck a person in. In you go, Wernsey. Go up, do it for your country. But no longer your country. <laughs> so Wernsey wasn't convinced, though. He okay. was like, there's still been some issues with these test flights. Sure. We need to do one more. And so he goes, you know what? Instead of doing the manned launch next, we'll do another test launch and push that one back to mm-hmm. when the second manned launch should have been. So they do that additional test flight, and it took place on March 24th, 1961, and would, as expected, prove again that the equipment worked. What did they have in this one? Nothing? Did they send anything up? Yeah, it was empty. Okay, it was empty. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Imagine that chimp. He's strapped into this. Like, what was he strapped into? Like a cockpit of a plane yeah. or just? No, it was the capsule. The like capsule. The mercury capsule. But he's yeah. strapped in and then all of a sudden it just rumbles. And how many Gs are you doing as you're launching off Fair the- few. Fair few. Like, what is going yeah. on? <laughs> I'm sure well, they you- said that his heart rate obviously increased when he was launching. Mm. But when he got up into space, he just like pressed buttons and pulled levers and stuff like they taught him to do. Okay. Yeah, and he was fine. Cool. Yeah. Was it he sl- got a bruised nose from the landing. That was it. Was it slinging poo around the capsule? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly for the Americans, the test launch was a misstep as the Soviets again shocked the world by putting Yuri Gagarin in space on April 12th. That is a name I recognize. Yes. Yuri first Gagarin, man first space. man in space. The Soviets had won again. And not only that, but they'd put Gagarin into a full orbit, showing that the equipment used by the Soviets was still far ahead in terms of power. For the Americans, they would launch their first man, Alan Shepard, on a suborbital flight on May 5th, 1961, losing the, space, uh, losing the race into space by just three weeks. Caution had cost the Americans dearly. I mean, you can look at it that now, but I'd say if they'd done it at the time and something failed and the This is a lesson. It exploded. Yeah. Um, I'd say that would be, looking back on it now, that would be a worse to see than. But this is something, that's an important moment, right? Okay. Because it's the first time that somebody had gone, let's do the safe option and it hadn't been the right call. Yeah, okay. Or like it, or I shouldn't say that. It was the first time they'd gone, let's choose the safe option and that caused them to lose yeah, a, a race. A, a milestone. Yeah. Market, yeah. Um, that comes back. It would take the Americans the better part of a year before they could complete an orbital launch, sending John Glenn into orbit on February 20th, 1962. You may know the quote, which is, Godspeed, John Glenn, because they said that you had to have the speed of God to be Mm -hmm. able to orbit. I believe you've mentioned that before. Have you mentioned that on the podcast before when we talked about the firelights and the little tail? It was just these we. Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned it then. Yeah. It was him. Yeah, John Glenn. Mm. Yeah. Seeing Piss in space. Oh, was that who, is that was I was, who I was talking about? I think so. I think that was John Glenn. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, because it was an orbital flight, so yeah. it would have been the first time they had to eject Piss. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't know what it was. Mm. It was just his Piss catching on fire. Yeah. It was either John Glenn or one of the other mm. Mercury astronauts. So, yeah, they get John Glenn into orbit, and that would take place on the new Atlas rocket, which is still in use today in upgraded forms. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's the Atlas... The fifth version of the Atlas mm-hmm. um, gets used. This new rocket would catch the Americans up to the Soviets in terms of launch power, but they were still struggling to catch up. Project, Merc- Project Mercury would eventually finish up on May 15th, 1963, with the flight of Gordo Cooper, which lasted one day and 10 hours. Can't give Gordo a nickname. He's already got one. For uh, the first Gordo name. was the nickname. Oh, okay. He was Gordon. Yeah. All right. All right, Gordo. <laughs> But that was still shorter than the record set by the Soviets of four days and 23 hours. Despite this, Orbiting. There, mm, wow. despite this, there was a sense that the Americans were on their way. 
I just want to quickly mention that one day and 10 hours. I don't know how big the Vostok capsule was, mm. but I don't think it was much bigger or it was about the same size. But I've stood next to a mock-up of a Mercury capsule, like a, a replica one. Mm-hmm. That thing tiny. Yeah. It, yeah. Picture like a phone booth. And he spent a day and a half yeah. in that before. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, it might not even be the size of a phone booth. Like it's small. It's basically a chair with like a little bit of room. Is that just the inside or is that including the outside? So like the insulation. That's and- the inside. So the outside's a, bit a little bigger. bit bigger. Yeah. But like they're not big. Mm. They're not big by any stretch. I was shocked by how small they were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, very tiny. Heading into the next round of missions, President John F. Kennedy, JFK, had realized the power of the space race to showcase the technological prowess of the US and so had convinced Congress to set the goal of landing a man on the moon within the decade. So just think, by the by the time he's doing this, they've only had like a few hours in space. Yeah, like a day at most. Yeah. This is like 1961, I think this was happening. This had been a task on its own, with Von Braun largely influential in helping to craft the goal. Kennedy had managed to get the US Congress to agree to spending $28 billion, that is $280 billion today, Ooh. Which at its peak, so the peak of their spending in 1966, was 5% of all US spending. Wow. The US military in the same time was 8.5% of spending. So that should give you an idea of how much they were throwing at NASA. Yeah. So this is the key reason and why we've not NASA been- doing? Jerking off dolphins. <laughs> oh yeah, that was at this time, wasn't it? Yeah. That's why I, that, like, I was putting that together in my head during the dolphin, the dolphin House episode. I was like, come on, man. Yeah. There's a throwback. Go listen to Dolphin House episode. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> but yeah, that's the main reason why we haven't been back is because at that point they were spending 5% of all US spending yep. on this project. Um, yeah. And that's, that's why we have not done it again. Despite convincing Congress, Kennedy still had to convince the American people. And so went on a campaign to do so. If you've never heard the speech that he gave at Rich, at Rich University, Rice University, it's Rice University, <laughs> you absolutely should. And you probably know at least a couple of quotes from it. I, said, I probably, ha- I, yeah, if, if I was to hear it, I probably know. Well, you probably know the line that I'm going to quote. Sure. It captures the feeling of the time perfectly and gives us one of the greatest sound bites of the entire space race, which is, and I'm going to do the Kennedy voice because it's very fun <laughs> to do. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There you go. It's not great, but it was better when I was practicing in the shower yesterday. No, well done. Mm. Well done. I felt like I was there. The, I the, felt like the I two- in my time mach- jumped in my time <laughs> machine and I traveled back to Rice University to watch Kennedy give his speech. The two key parts are decayed and hard. <laughs> he says hard. Okay. Very nice. Sure. This speech, along with the rest of his campaign, worked well, and the American public were on board in greater numbers than they had ever been before. Now it was on to Gemini. So, like, it's actually one of the greatest examples of leadership Mm -hmm. of, like, he managed to get the entire country space crazy. Like, all of a sudden, everyone was playing with space toys, and, like, all the cars look really futuristic and spacey, and, like... It was almost... He almost did that to the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like if you, you think of the 60s and you don't think hippies, what you're thinking is space race. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it is. Yeah. That's what that, yeah. From like you said, we're in what, 61 now? Yeah. 61 to the end of the end of the decade. That's 
what it was yeah. all about. Mm. So yeah, Mercury's done. Vostok is done. Now we're on to Project Gemini, Space Learner's License. Are you looking at me because you think it's Gemini? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The official NASA pronunciation is Gemini. Okay. Spelt Gemini though? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but it's Gemini. All right, sure. Long before Gemini, NASA had determined that the Apollo missions would use a separate lander and orbiting module, so rendezvous would be needed in space. One of my favorite words, rendezvous. So now they've got to learn how to make two things join in space. Yeah. So they've got to actually learn how to fly. Also not an easy thing to do. No, really. very difficult. If you've ever played Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> I was, gonna, I was waiting for that to come up. <laughs> oh my, some of my knowledge of this is from Kerbal Space Program. Yeah. Staged rockets and even that's just difficult. Yeah. Kerbal Space Program is like, if you want to get an idea for how hard it is, that's the game to play. If you're a rocket scientist in training, play that game. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they have to learn how to rendezvous as well as a lot of other advanced orbital maneuvers. They also had to learn how to spacewalk. Project Gemini would be the opportunity to learn how to fly in space for NASA. Why is it called spacewalk? Because the spacewalk is when they leave the craft, yeah. usually tethered, and go out and do something, come yeah. back in. Why isn't it called space swim? Because you're not walking. You, you. It's more of a. Well, they teach them how to spacewalk in pools. Sorry, what did I say? It should be called. Yeah, I'm not going to call they it a space in what? swim. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it should be. Called a space swim. All right. Well, you get a letter off to NASA. <laughs> or I will. I will. You get me an official cheeky tails letterhead. I'm oh. sending it to NASA. <laughs> what would that even be? Just Can we please change the terminology from spacewalk to space swim? I'm going to say no. On behalf of NASA, I'm going to say no. <laughs> oh, sorry. On behalf of NASA. You're now speaking for NASA, are you? Yep. Just because you've got all the Lego models does not give you, does not allow you to be the mouthpiece for NASA. I say it does. Project <laughs> Gemini would be the opportunity to learn how to fly in space for NASA and would involve an upgraded two-man capsule capable of multi-day space flights. And space swims. I've also stood next to a Gemini capsule mm-hmm. mock-up and- you would have to be very close friends with the person that you're in there with. Oh, so we could do it. I don't want to smell your poop. <laughs> because they're like, it's, it's Are like- you, Would you not go to space with me then? Is that what you're saying? I'd go to space with you, but not in the Gemini capsule. Okay. All right. No. Again. I'd go to space with you in, a, in the Gemini capsule. Uh, uh, okay. All right. Let me correct. I would go on a single day mission where we neither of us have to poop. <laughs> I don't want to see you squeezing out of Cleveland Brown. Well, that's just hurtful for the fans of that. Take that. Gemini would kick off in 1964 with uncrewed testing of the Gemini Gemini Titan (laughs) rocket. You got me. The first manned space flight, uh, sorry, the first manned flight would take place in June of 1965, but would would already be behind the Soviets, now with the Voskhod program. Voskhod was the Soviet equivalent of Gemini and would only have two crewed flights. One in October of 1964, which would be the first to launch a multi-man mission, and a second in March of 1965, which would be the first spacewalk. Space beam. The spacewalk didn't quite go Space to beam. plan, though, for the Soviets. The Voskhod capsule wasn't as sophisticated as the Gemini would be and couldn't carry enough air to completely depressurize and then repressurize, and so had to have an airlock to allow an astronaut to exit the vehicle. So it's got like this giant inflatable tube. Yep. And so, yeah, they fill that up, open the door, get in that, close the door, open the outside door, get out. Yep. While able to leave the vessel, the uh, so while able to leave the vessel, the cosmonaut quickly found that his spacesuit had inflated and it was difficult for him to move. Oh dear. Yes. He couldn't bend down to take a photo on the camera on his chest. 
He then made a mistake on the way into the airlock and entered head first rather than feet first. Now he wouldn't be able to reach the hatch, which would be at his feet. Yeah, right. And it was difficult for him. Uh, So, yeah, now he's stuck, can't close the hatch. His body temperature shot up by two degrees in 20 minutes. That is a lot. Doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. And he was in danger of suffering heat stroke. Eventually, he had to release the pressure on his suit, which was against regulation, and put him in danger of getting the bends, if you ever heard of the bends, the thing that you can get from coming up too quickly underwater. yep. Nitrogen in the brain. Yes. Before he could finally close the hatch and repressurize the airlock, it would be the first time in the space race that either side had compromised safety in order to make a first. Mm-hmm. So again, just another little foreboding. And again, we got a reference to something happening underwater, coming up too quickly. Space swim. Just saying. there are like there's a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of similarities between yeah. space and ocean going vessels. Yeah, well, but I know, it's still I, called a spacewalk. I don't know. I know in pop culture, all space vessels are called ships. Space swim. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. It should be. This could be our mark on the history. I'm of not going to change it to space swim. This is. This could be our mark. Do you want to be involved in the history of space travel? Human history is not travel. in that way. We could be not known as the. Guys I don't want to be the muppet made- that started a campaign before <laughs> it's space swimming. <laughs> Correctly. I don't want to get Change banned. the term. I do not want to get to banned from Cape me. Kennedy. Gemini, on the other hand, <laughs> was a much more capable spacecraft. It had plenty of space in the service module to repressurize the entire craft. And so when Ed White made the first spacewalk for the Americans on Swim. Gemini 4 in 1965, it was a much easier exercise. From here, the Americans would accelerate in their accomplishments. The next goal would be to rendezvous two, two vehicles in space. Now, this is where America kind of starts... This mission is where America Passing. gets ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So f- this is America's first. Yeah, is it because America have sorted things out or is it also because like Russia's now struggling, maybe running out of money or- Yeah. So- You said they only did two launches. Like- yeah. I cover it in the start of the second episode a bit okay. more, but essentially there was like a whole bunch of leadership change and a few pe- like key people dying at really in- really important points. Yep. Um, and so they just got like, they just got messed up. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't keep up technologically. Yep. Um, and like this capsule didn't help because I think this was an advanced version of the first, so like the, mis- the Vostok yep, capsule, like a misstep that they've done. Yeah. Yep. So they they didn't do as much to develop it as they should, and so it wasn't as capable. Um, yeah. So they had the idea that they would launch this unmanned um, vehicle that they would then rendezvous and dock with, but they had issues getting that vehicle up. It blew up on the launch. Uh, so they went. You know what? Instead of launching another one of them, we have Gemini, Gemini 6 and Gemini 7 ready. Well, why don't we just launch both of them? So they renamed Gemini 7 to Gemini 6A and they launched them both. Uh, and so then that was the first rendezvous in space on December 15th of 1965. Yeah, cool. The first docking of two spacecraft would be completed by Neil Armstrong on Ooh, his first space flight on I Gemini know that 8. Name. Yes, you do. Though this would be the moment that ultimately got him his seat as commander of Apollo 11. After completing rendezvous with an unmanned target vehicle in orbit, his Gemini capsule started rolling unexpectedly. So they do the docking mm-hmm. and then they go, oh, we got to like maneuver the craft. Oh, why are we suddenly rolling? Uh, and so at first he thought it was the target vehicle, the Agena, uh, that was causing the spin until he noticed that their maneuvering propellant was dropping. So... The other guy in the capsule, he would fire the undock. Neil pushes it away, you know, drives it away, however you want to say it, flies it away. 
And then suddenly they were rotating at a full 300 degrees a second. Oh. So that's almost 60 full, RPM. Yeah, a full rotation, yep. Yeah. So you imagine like you're in this thing just like wee, wee, wee. Um, and it's getting faster as it goes too. Um, Armstrong would show the abilities that would ultimately ultimately lead to him being the one landing on the moon first by calmly shutting down the thrusters and switching to the re-entry thrusters to gain control. His cool, calm, collected manner ensured that Armstrong would be the one chosen when the time came. So pretty much all of the guys that flew these early missions and into Apollo were test pilots. Yeah. And they say- <clears throat> Well, test pilots are crazy sons of bitches. Yeah, well, they say emotion kills test pilots mm-hmm. because if you get- if you panic, you lose all sense of what you're doing and you're gone. But Armstrong here goes, all right, I'm in this very dangerous situation. Here's what we do. And just calmly ticks everything off, does all the things, gets it calmed down. And so, yeah, eventually they're like- Well, you say test you. pilot. A test pilot was someone who takes a plane that's never been flown before and flies it. Yeah. Like that's- And that's what they're doing here, but in space. That's some big gojones. Yeah. <laughs> big nuts. That's a, that's a balls of steel. <laughs> Quick side note. I was at this fight last night. <laughs> what? Where's yeah, this yeah, story yeah. going? I was at this. You saw someone's big nuts? No. no. I was at this fight night last night, Muay Thai fight. A guy that I know um, fights, right? And um, we're watching these other fights that are going on. And there's this like title. There's a title fight, like Australian title fight for like, I don't know, 14-year-olds or something, 12-year-olds mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. One of the kids, one of the kids, you know how they're like, oh, you know, here's first name, nickname, last name. Yep. The kid's nickname was Big Nuts. <laughs> So like, here comes, yeah, let's go, like, James Big Nut Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so this kid comes out with a skullet, red skullet. And I was like, that's a kid that calls himself Big Nuts. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, pretty funny. Anyway, that's how that lines up. So more missions would follow Gemini 8 to round out Gemini, with the other notable event being the five-hour spacewalk of one Buzz Aldrin space on the final room. flight of Gemini, Gemini 12. While the Americans had been successful in their spacewalks, they had taken a huge amount of effort and control. What? Yeah, okay. So you've, you've written down walk when you should have said swim. No. <sighs> can't edit that out. <laughs> I just can't read. While the effort and control. Okay. While the Americans had been successful in their spacewalks, they had taken a huge amount of effort and control around the craft had been difficult. Aldrin had spent hundreds of hours in NASA's pools testing and developing better methods for moving in space. What was he doing in the pools, boy? And his EVA record (laughs) would prove that he had been successful. What was he doing in the pools? Considering the challenges ahead, Aldrin would put himself in the second seat of the lander on that first landing. Yes, he was in a pool, but it's not space swimming. Doing what? What was he doing in the pool? I'm not calling it space swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Get on the comments, people, if you think it should be called space swimming. We should... Send off an official letter. All comments in support of this will be blocked. (laughs) (laughs) I have access. I will unblock. (laughs) With the end of Gemini, the stage was set for America to push their advantage all the way to the finish line. The Yanks had finally overtaken the Soviets, who were now languishing, ending the Voskhod program early to try and catch up with their new Soyuz program. Despite the advantage, there was still a lot to come in the space race. And with only three years left to achieve President Kennedy's goal, the Americans would face newer, tougher challenges with each launch. Because they didn't know what they didn't know, right? They like, well, yeah, we're guessing. Yeah. And like Gemini was basically just like, hey, there's all these things we're going to have to do if we want to do Apollo properly. Yeah. Let's learn how to do them. And I guess that's why now with Artemis, it seems to happen a bit quicker because they don't yeah. have to learn how to dock in space or. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's that incremental learning thing. Yeah. Right. Like the reason 
they can go now is because they don't have to develop all this stuff. Mm -hmm. They can just reuse some old rocket parts. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. And that's it for this episode. That's it to part one. Nice. That is the end of part one. And part two starts with- Part two is where I get real nerdy. Apollo? It is Apollo. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was- I had originally meant that Apollo would be just part of this episode, and then I wrote it, and it was a further 3,000 words, and I went- Oh, "Mm." I've got to do the whole beginning of it as well. Yeah. So, this episode is not- well, this series of episodes Mm. is not going to be like the Titanic- as in, it's a week. I'm not release. doing three episodes in three weeks again. That yeah. was a nightmare. So, part two, the Apollo missions will be out in two weeks. Two weeks. Yes. The finale of the space race, mm-hmm. the race to the finish line. And my favorite topic of all, and you will tell, because boy, do I talk. So, the, the thing that you got to mention earlier is that in part two, or are you going to talk about it now? Your most prized possession. My most prized possession. I'll talk about it in the next episode. Okay. Further teasing. Wow. Tease. Look at us. What'd you think, boy? It's interesting. It's very good. Yeah. I love this story. It's it's cool. Yeah. It, um, it tickles all my fancies. <laughs> fancies all your tickles. No, it's cool. <laughs> um, I still think it should be called Space Swim. That's what I've taken out of this episode. I'm very mad that that's what you've taken, <laughs> but sure. No, nah, it, it's cool. I, again, I brought it up earlier. The thing that makes me cool, like, thinks it's cool. And like I said, time travel. Time, time travel. I'd be going back to little Wernsey's Rocket Club. Yeah. And just- like that is literally the beginning of that was twenty years before Apollo. Yeah, like twenty years before Mercury, I should say. Yeah, is that they're doing that. that stuff. That's literally the start of yeah, I guess NASA in a way, but like humans' yeah. adventures into space. Like it, it's just like the coolest. Like just imagine going into space, right? Oh, and then imagine being one of the first when like it wasn't like it is today, where people are just like, oh yeah, space launch. You so what, what about our future? Do you reckon in our lifetime? You and I's lifetime would be able to go to space on something. I, mean, yeah. I know they have you virgin. I think so, but like an actual, yeah. yeah. You got to look at like. So I saw a thing the other day that was like the first Wright brothers flight and Apollo Eleven were sixty six years apart. Like, yeah, right. That's nothing. That is nothing. Yeah. And so yeah, I think I think I'll. I reckon even if I have to bankrupt myself, I'm going to space in my lifetime. Cool. Yeah. It, um, it's not gonna be like yeah, like you're gonna jump in your spacecraft and just go. Whoop. I don't think we'll have personal ones. Yeah, I that'd think. be cool. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Hey, do you want to go hang out on the moon? Yeah, right. Well, that there are plans for a moon base, isn't there? Someone's gonna build yeah, a moon NASA's, base. Part of Artemis is meant to be moon base. Moon base, and then they're gonna launch further missions yeah. into space from moon because obviously it's easier to leave the moon than it is to leave our atmosphere. Yeah, the idea is that you would launch from Earth, maybe refuel at an Earth orbiting space station. And then you would launch to the moon, refuel there, and then head off to Mars. Head off to Mars or-, or I suppose Mars is the next step. I'm just going to say like Titan yeah. or something where they believe there could be like a- Yeah. The moon that they can land on. But Mars is obviously the next step, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Mars, that's where Elon wants to go. Mm-hmm. Um, well, isn't there like how many people? What? Wasn't that a thing a while ago? They were asking for volunteers for like a one-way trip to Mars. Like you're going to go oh, to yeah. Mars and you're going to yeah. set up there and- that's all. They're not going to do that. They're not like, going to do that. Those people are not going. Like, um, I think they want to do testing of like how do you how do you survive in that sort of environment. Ask Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, this I love this story. It and is I'm, cool. I'm it's, glad that I'm finally tackling. It's it. It's an awesome topic. It's and it's like I said, it's cool. It's fun to think of where our future is going to be. Really. Yeah. Like, and like gonna, this story happens between like you know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm actually going to talk to my dad tonight. 
Okay. Because my dad was 28 yeah. when Apollo 11 launched. Yep. My dad was nine. So mm. I'm sure my dad remembers it. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be like, what was it like? And I'll, my, I'll, that's going to be my homework yes. for the next episode. I'm going to come back and- He would have been one of the people sitting on a TV watching it. Yeah. Do you want me to ask if he wants to come in for a little guest spot to, if, if he wants to talk about what it was like watching it sure. in real life? That'd be really nice. That'd be we could cool. do that as like a supplemental episode. Yeah. Mm. I'll, like I'll do that. that. I'm going to do that tonight. If he's keen. If he might not be keen. Piece of trivia. Did you know that it was Australia that broadcast that? Yes, because we mm. have giant satellites. Sat- satellites. They were all over the world. It but was just Australia that, was pointing at it. At that time. Yeah. yeah. So was there was one in- South Australia? There was one in Canberra that took okay. the signal of the first step. Yep. And then about a minute afterwards, it cut over to the one in Parks. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I, I was aware that we, we I say we, yeah. Australia was a mm. major involvement in at least the broadcast of it. Mm. Anyway, let's leave it there. Cool, cool. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Awesome episode, boy. I'm- I am. I am excited for the next part because you. Oh my! I'm so keen. (laughs) You're going to see me go so nerdy. Yep. I love. I love it. I love the Apollo missions. But uh, yeah, if you want to uh, see some images from this one, there will be some images on our socials at Cheeky Tales Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hopefully, we will be able to share the link to the launch of the Artemis project. on our link tree. We will be doing that. Yes, that's a great idea. Um, If it launches, of weather permitting. um, Yes. Otherwise, yeah. we'll when it when it does launch, we'll probably post a link on the on the Facebook on the socials of yep. Since we will this be is doing our that. ongoing topic. Yeah, we will be doing that. Welcome to Cheeky Tales Space Month. Space Month. Oh yeah, it is a space month, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Although it's like it's not it's the be end of out August. September. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? It's it's Space Month here yeah. on Cheeky Tales. It's it's going to be a, a month of month long time of content. Space content. Yep. Hmm. Anyway, um, if you could. Share this podcast if you enjoy it with a friend. Um, we would really appreciate that, especially a friend who loves space uh, for this week anyway. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. And we will see you for part two, the Apollo Project. Godspeed. Cheeky Tales listeners. Godspeed.